glad I'm a part of the family of God. Something secure in being part of that family. Something wonderful in being part of that family. Isn't there? Well, sing it to someone next to you. I'm so glad I'm part. Aren't you? I'm so glad.
taking our chairs and our Bibles, shall we? Friendship. Ruth means friendship. And you remember now it came to pass, chapter one, verse one, Ruth you'll find after judges. If you're looking in the Minor Prophets, you will look a long time. It's after Judges. Now it came to pass in the days when the Judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And you remember we saw, and you can see that the famine is in the last chapter of Judges. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And when a man does that which is right in his own eyes, famine comes. God sends famine. Because the Lord of glory is keen to bring people back to himself. It's not out to destroy. And you'll find throughout the history of Israel, famine played quite a great part. For it was famine that caused Isaac to go down into Egypt, where Joseph was. It was famine that caused Abraham to go down and sojourn in Egypt. And you'll remember then came out the false seed. Always where famine comes, God's drawing people back to himself. But man generally goes the natural way. He goes the way down to Moab, the way down to formal religion. And whenever famine comes in a church, what they resort to is method. When God's spirit and the essence of God leaves, then the only thing you have left is method. And you can see how people go to methods. 
Hanami is a picture of the, the church that has gone from pleasantness and turns into bitterness. You remember, she asked for herself no more to be called Naomi but Mara, which means bitter. And you'll always find that the last move of God is the one that opposes the next move. That which came last always opposes that which is coming. The people who were caught up with the last move become bitter. Somehow they lost it. And they went down into their forms and their customs. And they become bitter against that which rises, which is new. That's why you will always find through history, when a new revival comes, the chief opponents of it, when God begins to move again, are those who are in the last blessing. Strange though it is, you'd think they'd be the first to respond, but they're the last to respond. And so we're going to look at it. And you remember, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, the city of bread and praise, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, which means my Lord is king. And the name of his wife, Naomi, which is pleasant. And the name of the two sons, Marlon, which is sick, and Chileon, which is pining. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. When all the presence of the knowledge of God being king vanishes from a life, all you're left with is sickness and pining. And Naomi lost her husband. She should never have left Bethlehem, Judah. The famine should not have driven her out, but it did. And the church is so often driven away from that place where God really wants it to feed on the living Christ. They go into their forms, they go into their liturgies, they go into their customs, they go into their methods. And they lose the very essence that God desired. And it's all gone. And in the end they lose sight that Jesus is king. They lose sight that he should be in control. And suddenly man takes over the helm. And very quickly that pleasantness, that sweetness, turns into feuding, fighting for position, fighting for power. Fighting for the world's ways, using the world's methods. And evangelism today in this land, because there's been a famine and people have gone, they use the world's methods. They have given you world's methods. You've got the four spiritual laws. People say all you've got to do is just obey this. You've got man's methods all over the place. Because they've nothing else left. When we were in America, there was a church in Atlanta. And um, it's gone to Christian rock music. Now you can't have Christian rock music. There's no such thing. 
You can put the words of a religious person to rock music and call it Christian, but that doesn't make it Christian. It makes it evil. Because, you see, God won't be glorified in that. You can't take that which is of the world and the devil and turn it into God's things. Oh no, there has to be a different spirit in it. Different life, different essence. And yet what's happening today is that they're going around and because they can't attract young people, they're looking for methods. So why not have Christian rock? And then the kids can go and then they have evenings and barn dances and square dances and crazy dances and all sorts of dances and then they have young people's get-togethers as though there's some church for the young people and some church for the old but I know that the true church is a family if it can't incorporate the old and the young all in one then it's not the church so you have Old people's meetings, young people's meetings, wives' meetings, husbands' meetings, men's meetings, women's meetings. They all are trying to generate something because they've lost the essence of Jesus. He's no longer there. So all they've got left is method. How? And they'll sit down and they'll discuss how do we reach the people? How can we reach them and get them into the church? Why? Let's make the church like the world and then maybe they'll come. Let's get a rock band together and a Christian group and a twanging guitar and a fluttering voice. And let's try and woo them back with melody. That won't bring them to Christ. Oh, it might entertain them. It might get them into a building might make them a load of hypocrites, but it won't bring them to Jesus. For the call of Jesus is to repent and to turn to the crucified one. There is no comeliness in him that we should desire him. There's nothing appealing in the world's eyes. His visage, his face was marred more than any man's. And there's nothing that we can present that will make him attractive. Not at all. And we should never, ever try to make the gospel attractive. Don't ever get caught in the trap of trying to make it appealing. Years ago I was driving down a road to a meeting with someone in the car and he said to me, you know Michael, if you keep preaching like that you'll have no one left. No new people will ever come if you keep preaching this. You know, it's, it's not attractive. So I kept preaching and they've come. But it's the people that want God that come. It's the people who are fed up with the world's ways and the world's methods and said, isn't there something that's real? They're the people that hearts get set alight and they say, at last I see. And look at the story of Ruth friendship she became a friend of God and a friend of God's people but if you look at the way she became a friend you'll perceive there's something very different about Ruth wonderful Ruth 
A Moabitess, she should have been totally excluded. You remember Moab was the son of Lot's eldest daughter. The scripture doesn't tell you what her name was. But um, they made the father drunk. And you remember the father fled from Zoar up into the hills. Even though God, when he took him out of Sodom and Gomorrah, told him to dwell in Zoar, he went up into the mountains. And there they were left without the chance of a husband. So they made their father drunk and they conceived children by him. And there you've got Moab. And God totally excluded Moab forever from the generations of his children. Said, no, never. But there was a Moabitess. Someone who should have been excluded forever. And there were the children that had gone down into the picture of formalism and religion and that which is antichrist for all religion that's gone into formalism is part of the antichrist. It's part of the dragon. It's part of the wrong spirit of Babylon. And the harlot has many, many daughters. What is the truth is it's those who are in love with Jesus and there can be some in any of those groups. If they've really been born from above and they're really in love with him, they come out of their forms. And they come to a living saviour and a living Christ. They quit their forms. And they join a people that love him. And you'll find that here was Ruth and she was um, a Moabitess. And uh, verse 5 and Marlon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Now Naomi, suddenly, she went out with her husband and two sons. Suddenly she's left with nothing. Just two daughter-in-laws. Then, verse 6, she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. You know, it's an awful tragedy. But Naomi wasn't drawn back by the fact that she saw her sin in leaving and going to an idolatrous nation. She wasn't drawn back to God by the fact that she saw what God had done was the dealings of God to bring her back to himself. Oh no. What she heard, there was blessings somewhere. So she went along to get some of the blessings. She just heard there was bread again and the Lord was giving bread and so she went to return. The Lord had visited his people in giving them bread and so she thought, oh, well I'll go back. And that's what many of the denominational people will do. They don't see their sin, they don't see what they're in, but many of them will turn when they hear the Lord's giving bread, they'll go to try and get a bit of it. And that's all Naomi's motive was. Formalism will always try and get anything that works. That's what Naomi did. So I'll go back and I'll try and get a bit and incorporate it. You'll find Naomi was never restored with husband and children. In fact, 
Ruth now is the one who cleans. Ruth is the one who provides. Naomi never became the provider, never became the one who was blessed. She was passed over. And you'll always find that God passes over. He never puts new cloth on an old garment. He chooses something totally new and he does something new. And it's always been and always will be. And yet people don't want to accept that. They don't want to believe it, but it's true. The person might come back to find the bread that God's giving, but they're coming with the wrong motive. They want to keep the old. And you can't. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, O daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Orpah went back. She went back not only to her people but to her gods. How could God bless that? The gods of this world. The loves of this world. The things she cherished in this world. Orpah went back to them. She went back to the land of idolatry. Terrible thing. Strange that Naomi didn't love them sufficiently to say, look, don't go back. Stay. But she didn't. Her spirit was wrong. Her attitude was wrong. She was blaming God. And there's many hearts that blame God. There's many... Churches that would say, well, why is God left, you know, and they blame God. They don't see it's their fault. She didn't reckon and say, look, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me because I left Bethlehem, Judah. Because we went against the commands of the king of kings. She didn't say that. She just said, don't you come with me because God's against me. She didn't see the reason. She didn't understand the love of God. All she could see is but what she wanted, she'd lost. And so she was bitter. 
Go back to your gods. Strange that you can be in formal religion and have gods. You can live in the house of formal religion and still worship the god of money, the god of sex, the god of lust, the god of pomp, the god of pride, the god of your ego. Terrible. Terrible thing. And Naomi sends Orpah back and says, go on back to it. She kissed her mother-in-law and went. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee, or return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left off speaking unto her. How about that? Beautiful. Ruth turns round and says, look, Somehow, even though this woman was so bitter, even so this woman was so confused, Ruth had seen through that there was a God in heaven. And her heart was after the God of heaven. And she knew that the people of God was the place she wanted to be. She wanted to be with people who knew God. I won't go back to my relations I won't go back to my family. I'll go all the way with you. I want your God to be my God. I want your people to be my people. Now let me tell you, any true conversion, any true experience of God will have certain facets that bind it into reality. And one of them is that the moment a man really comes to Jesus and really meets with the Lord God of glory and really hears the word of God, he might be a million miles away, but at that moment his heart turns and says, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. And he breaks off all his associations with the world. The friends he used to have cease to be friends. The places he used to go, he ceases to go. The people he ran with before, he ceases to run with. Because suddenly his heart is caught alive and he gets a vision and he knows he's got a long way to travel. He knows he's not at the place where he should be, but he knows that's what he wants. And he says, I won't go anywhere else. This is it. And he sets himself. And that is why God's people are always a separated people. It's very exclusive. It's a club you can't get in. You just can't join yourself to it by any other means than God doing a work in your heart. Because it demands so much. It really does demand a total leaving off of all the old ways, 
a total abandoning of the old life and old direction and a complete and utter turnaround and say, I'm going this way all the way, whatever it costs. I'll die where you die, but I'm going. I'm going to follow all the way. And unless a heart has come to that position where there's that decision of the will to go all the way, you'll never get in. I've often seen the people that want to keep a foot in both camps always go back. And there's something else I want you to notice. There was nothing of appeal in what Naomi said. For instance, verse 12, Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. And that's true. If I should say I have hope, I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would you tarry till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much, for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Here was a church that says, God's dealing with us. It wasn't a church that was saying, Yippee, we're in glory, you know, hallelujah, come and get it. It was a church that was saying, we want God to deal with our hearts and our lives and to take us on. We know we need the dealings of God. We know we need the cross to work in our lives. We know we need the power of the cross to go through and through us. We know that God has come to break the bondages in our life. We know that he's wanting to deal with us. Wasn't a church that was showing pomp and ceremony. It was a church that said we've no hope. If God doesn't do something, we're lost. Has to be the Lord. There's no method. I remember years ago it was, we were at a conference. A pastor came, Pentecostal denomination, and he got hold of four of the people in the church privately during one of the times off, you know, between meetings. And his question to them was, well, why does it work when he does it, but it doesn't work when I do it? Why is it that when he does that, it works, when I do it, it doesn't? There's something missing. Now, he couldn't put together what was missing. I could have done. Gone. He couldn't put together why it worked when one man did it and another. He did the same things. He sung the same choruses. He did the dancing. He did the praying, he did the praising but God didn't come why not he wanted to know why didn't it work what is it well he had religion instead of Christ as I said the building looks the same you got the doorposts, you got the windows, you got the roof, everything looks the same, it's just the foundations are totally different. 
When the storm comes, crash comes one house down. But you couldn't tell the difference unless you know. Unless you're one of the surveyors who goes around and somehow you always know. You just know. Don't know how you know, but you know. It was interesting actually talking of surveying. I once was asked to go and look at a house a couple in the church were going to buy. I remember going to the house and I stood in the lounge on a part of the lounge on the floor and I just felt with my foot just stood on where the carpet was down and everything. I just felt with my foot. And I said, well, I said, you know, there's something strange about this house. The floor here is not only... Oh, I was going to tell you about that, says the man. And out it comes. He's had to underpin the whole house. It was falling down on one side. I just stood on the right place in the floor. I didn't know that much. I just stood there. He wondered what expert I was. I was no expert. Just stood in the right place. And light comes. God puts you in the right place and you just kind of stand there and innocently ask the question. The next thing you know, he's getting out plans and guarantees that the underpinning's all right. I was quite amazed. Put them all out. Said, there you are, you see, I've, I've had it all done and, you know, and knocked 4,000 pounds off the price. Just like that. You find out the secrets. Just by standing. And you know that you can go into people's lives uh, and the building looks all right, but somehow you notice there's water leaking up through the floors everywhere. No foundation there. And you notice there's just a slight tilt coming on the windows. Little things tell you little things. And that's how it is in life. And, and what we have to understand is that God is wanting to bring us all in to reality, out of formalism. And it means a total break. But there's nothing appealing about it. Look at Naomi. Boy, God had dealt hard with her. What attracted Ruth? I'll tell you what attracted her. She couldn't see the benefits. She wasn't put on her by an appeal, a glossy appeal. She wasn't kind of drawn by someone coming and saying it's wonderful. How can you explain to someone that the Christian life is wonderful? Tell me. You tell me how you can explain that a bloody cross at the end of your road is all you can expect. Tell me how persecution and hatred and being despised and rejected and cursed can be presented as beautiful. Ah, but that's not the gospel that's preached in so many places. The world will hate you, said Jesus, because it hated me. If you come out of Moab and follow the true and living Christ, you're going to have enemies. If they hated me, they'll hate you, said Jesus. If they despise me, they'll despise you. If they persecute me, they'll persecute you. In fact, they'll kill you and believe they're doing God a service. Now you tell me how you can present that to a people attractively. 
If you say, look, we've got to be like Jesus. We've got to live the life of Christ. We've got to follow him. Tell me, how can you make that attractive? The time they took up stones to stone him. The time they tried to push him over a cliff. The time they cast him out and they were all ready to kill him. The time they tried to take him secretly, time after time, and he just walked through the midst of them. And yet, people say, well, you know, come to Jesus, he loves you. And they forget to tell him the cross. They take him into a vain formalism of religion and say, come this way. It's wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. Hallelujah. It's all glory. And boom, boom, boom. And it's a false Christ. They make it attractive. But I tell you, there's only one attraction that's real. It's when you see that this life is a horrible life. This world is absolute enmity against God. It hates God. And you turn with all your heart and you say, Lord, I want you to be my God. I want your people to be my people. I want to come out of the world. I want to come out of Moab. I want to come away from other gods. I want to follow you. I know it will cost everything. I know I'm never going to get a reward down here. I know everyone will despise me. I know they'll hate me. I know they'll misunderstand me. I know they won't understand my motives. But your God will be my God. Your people will be my people, said Ruth. I don't care what they think. Let Orpah go back to her gods and her people. But as for me, oh, I'm going with the people of God. She just heard Naomi said, God's dealt hardly with me. Ruth didn't care. She wasn't looking for appeal. She wasn't looking for benefits. She wanted God. She was sick of formalism. She was sick of the false. She was sick of people giving great promises. She wanted the living God. She wanted to know Him and follow Him. That's the call of Christianity. To follow the living Christ. That's the call of the true gospel. Come out! Come out from among her, my people, and be you separate. Don't go with the spirit of the world. Don't go into Moab. Don't go with the false gods and the false religion. You come out and be one of those who's despised and rejected and forsaken. Be one who's misunderstood. But be one who says, My God, is going to be the God you have. My people is going to be the people that belong to him alone. They're going to walk a path of total separation. I'm going to be separate. Do you know it says in the scripture that friendship with the world is enmity against God? 
To be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. To be a friend of the world system, the church loves its pomp, it loves its ceremony. It loves to be accepted by the world. They build their great towering monstrosities they call cathedrals. They stick up their finery and their pomp and their robes and their candelabras and their candles and incense and they love it. But did Jesus do that? You tell me when Jesus ever went that way. And we're called to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He promised us we'd be despised. He promised us we'd be rejected. He promised us a cross. Now you make a choice, my friend, each one of you. If you want to go God's way, know this, that if you want to be like Ruth the friend, of God you've got to totally reject everything else you're going to be misunderstood you're going to be despised you're going to be rejected you're going to walk on a pathway which will not give you any credit you're going to have to become as nothing Paul said he became as the off-scourings of the earth. That's how people treated him. The off-scourings of the earth. No one spoke well of Paul. And yet in Christian circles today, they hold up Paul. Wonderful man of God. They forget that his teaching and his preaching wasn't with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and power they forget that he said he was treated as the offscourings of the earth they forget that he was in prison in tumults beaten rejected the churches he built he turned around and wrote later all Asia have deserted me not one person stood with him and he was the true apostle. Do you want to walk with Jesus? Popularity is non-existent. The day it becomes popular and the day the world will receive your message is the day you know you lost the way. The day they're glad to hear is the day you know you missed it completely. The day the world will revere you is the day you can say. Now I'll tell you something that the religion does do. Religion will make saints of people that are dead. They're no threat. It's surprising how Hudson Taylor is now regarded as a man who was really used of God. 
That's wonderful. Hudson Taylor can boast now that people revere him. China Inland Mission became popular. But I'll tell you this, when Hudson Taylor went out, there wasn't one group of people that stood with him. He had a vision from God. You'll find any man of God who went out, Booth, General Booth, who found the Salvation Army. Time that that man went out and preached the gospel, there wasn't one that stood with him. They used to throw rocks at him. They used to jeer at him and mock him. When they went over to Paris, you read the book of the Marichal by Strachan, if you can get hold of it, you second-hand bookshop. But that woman went out and they used to stone these three women that went out preaching the gospel. And the police would lock them up in prison. They got imprisoned in Switzerland. They went out and they took a gospel. Do you think they were respected? Not a bit of it. They were hated, despised, and mob stirred up against them. Now, today, you see the difference. They've suddenly become a friend of the world. You look at Methodism. In the early days, they were field preachers. Whitfield preached in the fields. The churches were closed up to him, the denominations closed up to him, and today they boast in evangelical circles of Whitfield, forgetting that they were the very men that went and cast them out, but a dead saint can't disturb you. It's nice to have history behind you. It's nice to have those men behind. But anyone who ra rises up with life, I tell you, they're out to destroy him. You can't be a friend of the world system without becoming the enemy of God. It's amazing as you look through church history how they did it. And do you know Jesus said the same of the Jews? He said, look at these sepulchres to the prophets. And I've been to Jerusalem and seen some of the sepulchres of the prophets. I don't know if any of you have been down uh, is a little kind of thing and you go around this circle and they've got some of the prophets buried in there the Jews take you down this guy took us down with a taper and we went down this hole and they got these little holes where they put people in you know years ago and buried them and here was where Ezra was buried here's where so and so was buried and they took us round I remember walking round the place there was the Jews and Jesus said of the Jews oh he said you've made sepulchres for them it was your fathers that stoned them and saw them and asunder and you worship at their sepulchres. That's always the form of dead religion. The very people they crucified, persecuted, now they pretend to worship when they're dead. Good, dead and quiet and out the way. Once they got them out the way, they're no longer an embarrassment. But the Christ of God, the prophet of prophets, the king of kings, the lord of lords, when he was among them, they were shouting, crucify him, let's kill him. How can we get rid of him? And then they were going to the very sepulchres of the prophets who prophesied of his coming, and they were going, oh, yeah, 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 you know, and doing their little jumbos on the thing as I've seen them do in Israel still. Ah. God's calling a people out. And he's saying, look, it's not attractive, but it's life. It's not an attractive way, but it's the only way. You're not living for down here, your treasure's going to be in heaven. 
You'll never establish a kingdom down here because if you were going to establish a kingdom down here, said Jesus, my servants would fight, but my kingdom's not of this world. I'm not trying to establish a kingdom down here of people, great churches, great throngs. God forbid our kingdom's in glory. Jesus has ascended on high and I want to go to be with him, don't you? I know that down here, I'm not going to see till he returns a glorious kingdom. When he returns, he'll put all things under his feet. But at this time, it's a heavenly kingdom we speak of. Not an earthly. At this time, we look for the Lord of glory to come. That's all. And we'll be a despised, rejected, small remnant till the day he comes. But all will be looking for his coming. And when he comes again, we're going to delight that he's come. And I'll tell you this, the world is going to reject him just the same and the world's going to rise up against his prophets just the same as it did 2,000 years ago. But he's going to come with his angels and with 10,000 of his saints and destroy all his enemies. That's going to be wonderful. Hmm? And if you're here till he comes, you'll be called up to meet him in the air and you'll join in that army. And if you've gone to glory, don't worry. If they kill you first, you'll come back and watch their destruction. And it'll be wonderful to see that the enemies of God have finally dealt with. And the Lord God omnipotent reigns. All over his kingdom is established. That's what I look for. Ruth, she looked and she saw no hope. But she said, I'm not living for now. My God. I want my God to be your God. I want my people to be your people. I don't want my people of my own. I want you. Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee for whither thou goest I will go. Where thou lodgest I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more so if aught but death shall part me and thee. When Naomi saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, she left speaking unto her. Do you know Naomi didn't encourage her? She didn't even talk to her after that. She just left off speaking to her. She went into her bitter, angry silence. That was near me. So they went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this near me? And she said unto them, Call me not near me. Call me Mara. That's bitter. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And she uses the name of the all-powerful God. 
the almighty God has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? What bitterness. What bitterness. Do you notice what she said? I went out full. Let me remind you of who she reminds me of. The prodigal son. Give me that which is mine. The famine in Naomi's life was she couldn't do what she wanted to do, so she went down to Moab with her husband. I went out full. Naomi made the decision to go and she went. And she said, God's dealt very bitterly with me. The Lord has testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me. She says, God has done it. And she blamed God. She didn't see she'd rebelled against God. She'd gone out of God's care. She'd walked out of God's safekeeping. She'd walked her own way. And God had brought her to repentance, hardly re true repentance, but brought her to a place where she saw her poverty and began to turn again. But she was so bitter against God. Poof. And yet Ruth ignored all that and she said, look, I want to be with the people of God. If ever Ruth should have had discouragement for following after, imagine what Ruth must have felt. Look at the way God, the God Almighty, has dealt with Naomi. Look at the fact she had a husband and two sons and they're both dead. Look at the way we were barren. God shut up our wombs. We never had children by them. And that was a curse in, in eastern lands. Ruth had every reason to turn around and say, I don't want to worship a God that deals with people like that. But not a bit of it. Her heart was, I want to know him. And the beautiful thing about it, no matter how bitter, how dark the hour. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, a daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. The beautiful thing is, God's always got a harvest ready for when people return. They come for the wrong reasons. They come full of bitterness. They come all mixed up. But they find when they arrive, it's the time of the harvest. It's the time God wants to bring a harvest in. And they're soon gathered into his barn. Ruth and Naomi had come back at that very time when the angels were coming to harvest. And so they walk in, and there's the barley harvest. All ready, all waiting for them. The darkest hour is but before the dawning of the day. The greatest sorrow is the prelude to the most wonderful blessing.
when Jesus went on the cross, the world, the flesh and the devil thought it all triumphed. When he gave up the ghost, they thought they'd won. Darkness covered the face of the earth. But there was a day coming. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He rose up with triumph o'er his foes. Naomi had gone out and become so bitter, so antagonistic to God. But when she returned, she found she'd come in the very season of the barley harvest. The very season when God was sending the angels to gather into his barn. The Lord brought her back. She heard that the Lord had sent bread to Bethlehem, the city of bread. And so she returned. And she came right at the time of the harvest, full of bitterness, oh yes, but in the right place, in God's time, right when the harvest was due. Let's pray. harvest is due that's the beautiful thing God's brought it to a time of harvest darkness bitterness lack of appeal Ruth came when there was no hope Seemingly everything was wrong. Why her mother-in-law was so bitter. She had seen the dealings of God in the life and how could she believe? And yet she didn't care. She knew there was a God who was a true God. Somehow faith had got hold of a vision. Somehow beyond what Naomi saw, Ruth saw something different. Her heart had got locked in. How was it, I wonder? What was it that somehow trapped her heart? I believe it was a vision of the living God. The Spirit of God drawing her heart. Friendship she was called. She didn't want to be a friend of the world any longer. She wanted to be a friend of Him. She saw through it all. The darkest hour became the most glorious day. Time of harvest. How does it apply to you? Do you come to Jesus knowing there's no appeal? 
nothing that really could commend. Just that he is God. That he paid the terrible price for your sin. But you have to surrender to him. Or is there something in you that wants to find something appetizing? Something beautiful? Or do you see the beauty in the cross? Do you see the deliverance that there can be from the flesh and the world? His visage was marred more than any man's. There's nothing in him we should design spoke the prophet and yet there's some great beauty in him no matter how he afflicts how he deals thy God should be my God thy people should be my people no matter what he does somehow there's that burning within my soul. I want to identify with him. I want to go after him. I want to see him. I want to love him. Though it means the loss of all. People will misunderstand. I must go. Entreat me not to leave me or to return. For whither thou goest, I will go. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God shall be my God. Is that your prayer today? Is there something within your heart that would say, I know the dealings are going to be hard. I know the life's not going to be easy. I know I'll be rejected, despised, misunderstood. But somehow, the call of God has come to my heart. Jesus, I can't explain it. I couldn't go to any friend and explain why. For there's nothing appealing, just a call in my soul. Just something inwardly that tells me I must go. Something inwardly that calls me unto thee. It's beyond words. But it's wonderful. Entreat me not to leave. Jesus, entreat me not to leave thee. Is that your prayer? I don't care how rough, how hard that road is. I'll walk that road.
know where he died. It was a cross. It was a hill. Lonely, naked, forsaken, despised. Jesus, you're the one I'll follow. The true Christ of God. Not the false Jesus. The true one. He's the one I'll follow. Entreat me not to
I'm prepared to go all the way to Calvary. Let your people be my people. Let your God be my God. I'll identify with them. If they're despised, persecuted, hated, they'll be mine. The choice is yours. You're going to walk with them or going to go your own way. Lord, don't say go away. So often he turned to his disciples and he said, Will you go also? But to whom can we go? You've got the words of life. It's not attractive. Calvary is not something I want. The cross is something that Somehow, I don't know, it doesn't have an appeal, not to the flesh. But oh, it's the power of God. I've got to die there daily. I've got to know that cross working in my life. Entreat me not to leave.
end, everyone comes to the place where they make a choice. It's a hard choice. There's no promises, no guarantees. No blessings. No prosperity. No insurance. Just I'm going that way. Because he's God. I'm going that way because I find the call within my soul. I'm going to leave everything else. My people shall be your people. That's the way it's going to be. Entreat me not to leave you. Don't send me back. Don't send me back to the world, to my old friends. I know you said I should go, but you've got the words of life. Where you die, I want to die. I really do. I know there's no other place for me. It's a choice. But really there isn't life anywhere else. My whole being's got to change. I want to follow that key. Does it hurt inside? I know for some it does. God's call's real. Maybe some of you have made the decision. For some it's something you've already done. For others it might be something new. It really has got to be a total change. God has got to become King and Lord of your life. It means change of friends, change of hopes, change of aspirations, change of everything. Entreat me not to leave you. Don't say or call away. I know I deserve to be told to go. But I want to follow you. I want to go that way. I know there's a cross at the end. But that's what I want. Is that your heart? Oh God. I want really to be amongst your people. I want you to be my God. Oh, but wait.
but I won't. Opa means freshness. Caught up with the joys of youth. But as for me, I'll follow the king all the way. I'll die. Die to myself, my wants, my desires. My 